Hey, this is Joshua Brown, lead pastor here at Dream Church. Thank you for tuning in to the podcast, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. First Kings 18. Uh, let me mention this real quick because uh, Spencer brought this up this week, and I just want to clarify something. Last week I talked about First Kings 17, um, and we talk about the wineskin a lot. And specifically last week, thanks, Daniel. Specifically last week, we talked about um, becoming a new wineskin. If you missed that, go back and listen to it. Uh, but I just want to explain just soup very quickly. And today's message is going to explain a lot of this too, but um, what that means. So, so for you to become a new wineskin, the First Kings 17 narrative starts with Elijah announcing there's going to be a drought. Directly after that, the Lord sends him into the secret place where he, like I mentioned last week, he had plenty of what no one else had anything of, right? He goes into the secret place, and he is fed by ravens, and he drinks from a brook while everybody else around him is in a drought with no water. And if there's no water, there's no food, right? And so, uh, so to have a new wineskin or to become a new wineskin is to go from a place of being um, fascinated, I guess that would be the word, with the wine to being fascinated with the secret place, okay? And in the secret place, he begins to make you a new wineskin. What is that? He begins to make you literally what we call born again, but, but actually born again. I like to say I, w- I was saved when I guess was like eight, um, but I, I don't know if I could legally call myself born again until about five years ago. Not because I was bad, but just because what he did in me five years ago compared to what I had before that, I, I have a hard time calling that before born again. You know what I mean? I repeated a prayer and knew all the language and knew all the stories and knew all the books, right? But there was something that happened to me five years ago where I actually saw him face to face. And that is totally different. So, so uh, anyway, a lot of that will be explained today, but I just want to hit that right off the top. And if you guys ever have any questions, you can... Um, Email me, text me, whatever, and I'll do my best to answer them. So, anyway, y'all ready? First Kings 18. Uh, this is just, I'm going to give you a little backstory of where we are, okay? So, Israel and Judah, I'm, I'm not going to go back and read this. I was going to, I'm going to save us some time. Israel and Judah at this point are a split kingdom. So, uh, before Israel and Judah were one, at this point in the narrative, Israel and Judah are two split kingdoms. Um, Ahab son of the evil king Omri, uh, has become king, and he's reigning in Israel. He reigned from 873 to 852 B.C. So he is currently, in this story, king Ahab. The Bible says in 1 Kings 16.30 that Ahab was more evil than every single king before him. The most evil king up till this point. We're talking about Israel, okay? Ahab... Uh, marries Jezebel, and her name is actually, uh, it includes a title of the Canaanite god Baal. So the part in her name, uh, Zebel, is actually a title of the Canaanite god Baal. Okay? Uh, And you'll see why this makes sense in a second. So uh, Jezebel marries Ahab, the king of Israel, and she introduces Baal worship into Israel, into the northern kingdom of Israel. They considered Baal to be the storm god who brought rain 
and fertility to the land. Ironically, Israel was who they were because of the fertile land the Lord Yahweh had provided for them called the promised land. So Baal worship, this idol, comes into the northern kingdom Israel, and they consider him the rain and fertility God. Not fertility necessarily as in like, you know, like having babies. Fertility as in the land being fertile because of rain. Okay? So if you have rain, you have crops. So the land is fertile. The irony in all of this is the land of Canaan, which is the promised land, was labeled as the land flowing with milk and honey, with grapes so big that two people had to carry them. It was a fertile land. So the Lord brought them into a fertile land. The Lord Yahweh brought them into a land, and now they've turned from God, and they're worshiping Baal, who they consider to be the rain and fertile land God. Right? So you read a lot of this, and you think, how could they do that? How could they be so crazy? There's the, most of the time when I'm reading the Old Testament, I'm thinking, crazies, right? But you bring that around to us, we relate a lot to them, okay? So um, let me just read this real quick, and then we'll jump into 1 Kings 18. Um, it's amazing how amnesia accompanies marrying yourself to false realities, Let's say this one more time. It's amazing to me how amnesia accompanies marrying yourself to false realities. When you begin entertaining or joining yourself to things that aren't what you were designed for, you will quickly forget where you came from and why he brought you here. When you begin entertaining things that you aren't called to join yourself to, you'll quickly forget what you are called to join yourself to. The enemy can't destroy, for he has no authority to do so. But he longs to distract you and watch you destroy yourself. And y'all are like quiet today. Y'all good? Y'all wait? We made a lot of coffee this morning, but... okay. The enemy cannot destroy you. He has no authority to do so. But he does long to distract you because if you could get distracted enough, you'll actually start to destroy yourself. He, so he, he, does, he has no authority to say, like, hey, come here, come here. Why don't you take this job over here? Or why don't you get in this relationship right here? Great person. They're a great person. They, they're saved, Right? They love the Lord, they read the Bible, all that stuff. But it's not what you were designed for. So, so it's really easy for us to say, you know what, that makes sense. And all of a sudden you start being distracted, and in your distraction you actually start to destroy what he spent, spent years sometimes building. I, we've seen this, Lord, countless, countless times. People will be on fire and burning hot and laying in the floor, and they'll start dating somebody and never see them again. I mean, uh, this is just reality, right? Right? That's what some of y'all watching this got real mad at me just now. I mean, this is just reality. You start dating somebody that you weren't designed for, you, you, can, you don't even have to question it. You don't have to come to me for counseling. It's just a just straight-up litmus test. If you stop going to church because who you date is not the one for you. Thanks, Daniel. Let me say it like this. If you step into a career 
that keeps you from going to church, it's not the career for you. So the first one, everybody was amening. The second one, everybody's like, ouch, ouch. I'm saying, I mean, do do I trust? Do I trust that the Lord can provide for me if I put Him first? Duh. Or do I trust my own ability to provide for myself and then just entertain Him when I got time? Because that's what a lot of us do, right? When I was a kid, a lot of people played AAU sports, basketball. I lived in Kentucky for a while, and basketball was everything. My parents did not let me play. You know why? Because we had to be gone on Sundays, and they refused to let me choose basketball over church. Now, when I was a kid, I was so mad, didn't understand it. I was like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, like we can be the church anywhere. So You know, you know what I mean? Like, man, it ain't in the four walls. Let me be real clear. The church is in the four walls. You just got to take what's in the four walls outside of the four walls. But, but to be clear, it is in the four walls in the beginning. So let me just fix that right there. You know what I'm saying? They, they didn't just, the, the New Testament didn't start because they just floated around doing whatever, picking their noses all day, and all of a sudden the Lord fell. You know what happened? They were in a room for 10 days in one mind and one accord, fasting and praying, and then they inherited fire. If it weren't for the four walls of that room, they may not have ever inherited fire. Maybe the reason we don't carry fire is because we've dishonored the four walls of the room. <laughs> Man, this is fun. All right. No one sets out to turn away from the Lord. No one. No one sets out in their mind to say, you know what, I think I'm going to turn away from the Lord. No one does that. But many will be blind to the fact that they are attracted to the thing that they're chasing after and will eventually turn them away from the Lord. All right, let let me say this one more time. No one sets out to turn away from the Lord, but many will be blind to the fact that the attractive thing that they're chasing after will actually turn them away from the Lord. You don't, you don't just wake up one day and find yourself a million miles off course. This is something Ellington said way back in the beginning. I don't think Ellington made this up, but I'll give it to Ellington. Um, and it's awesome. When, so if you, if you go one degree, who said, I think this was Sherry. I think you should, yeah. Um, so if you're watching, hey, Sherry, this is totally you. Uh, But if you go one degree off of true north for a long time, it's going to seem like you're going true north. You know what I mean? But 5,000 miles down the road, you're going to be light years away from true north. Right? So, so, So what our lives are built, again, I hate talking about the enemy a lot, but what the enemy loves is for you to just make one decision that sends you one degree off of true north. Because if he can do that, you'll walk the whole way one degree off of true north, and at the end of it, you will have destroyed your whole self without him lifting a finger. You know what I mean? We give the enemy a lot of credit for stuff we do. I mean, how, how far do we go? Is, is the world still struggling with sickness because the enemy's big and powerful? or because the people of God haven't stepped in and brought sickness into order, which is healing and health. You know what I'm saying? Is it the devil, or is it us? That, that, you know what I mean? That's what we have to ask the question. It, since Adam and Eve, the world has been spinning in chaos. Don't call the chaos sin, because we were designed to bring it back into order. 
So if we aren't bringing it back into order, it's not the chaos, chaos that's the issue. It's actually us that's the issue for being apathetic and doing nothing. So, 1 Kings 18. Here we go. So we left off the Israelites. They've turned away from the Lord. They're worshiping Baal. And uh, Elijah has announced there's a drought. Um, and then there's a crazy story about him going to the widow healing her son, all that stuff. Go back and listen to it last week. So, uh, chapter 18, verse 1. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year of the drought. Um, that word, many days, is, is uh, talking about three years later. So, many, 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 many days. So, after three years, the, in the third year of the drought, the Lord came to Elijah saying, Go and present yourself to Ahab. I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. The famine was so severe in Samaria, Ahab summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of the palace. Now Obadiah revered the Lord greatly. When Jezebel was killing off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them Fifty to a cave and provided them with bread and water. I think I like this dude. Um, then Ahab, verse 5, said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the wadis. Some of your uh, translations may say creeks or brooks. Um, Go there. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. As Obadiah was on the way, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, fell on his face, and said, Is it you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go tell your lord Elijah is here. And he said, How have I sinned that you would hand your servant over to Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom to which my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when they would say he is not here, he would require an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. But now you say, Go tell your Lord that Elijah is here. Verse 12, as soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you. I know not where. What he's literally saying is, is you tell me to go to Ahab and say you're here. I just know the minute I go to Ahab, the Spirit of the Lord is going to translate you somewhere else, and he's not going to be able to find you. I mean, like we skip over some of this stuff. Think what kind of man was Elijah that as they're having this conversation, I, I mean, I can't go tell Ahab this. The Lord's going to translate you as soon as I leave. Just, ca I mean, casual. You know what I'm saying? Has nothing to do with the sermon. I just think it's really interesting. Um, as soon as I've gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you. I know not where. So when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, have revered the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets, fifty to a cave, and provided them with bread and water. Yet now you say, go tell your Lord Elijah is here. He will surely kill me. And Elijah said, 
As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? Ironic. He answered, I haven't troubled Israel, but you have in your father's house because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, have all Israel assemble for me at Mount Carmel with the four hundred four hundred fifty prophets of Baal and the four hundred prophets of Ashura who eat at Jezebel's table. So, 850 prophets of foreign gods and one prophet, in this case, of the Lord, Elijah. Remember, we're talking about Israel. Okay? So Ahab, I'm going to go back and hit this stuff. I just want to read a little bit. Um, Actually, I might just go all the way through. So Ahab sent to the Israelites and assembled the prophets at Mount Carmel or Caramel. No, I'm just kidding. Um... Elijah then came near to all the people and said, How long, this is my favorite verse, I think, in this whole story. Elijah goes near the people and he said, How long will you go limping with two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. The people didn't answer a word. Actually, let me stop right there. Let me stop right there. They were in, so number one, they were in a severe famine, okay? Remember, they turned away from the Lord to serve the God of rain and fertility for the land. So they're in a famine, worshiping the false God of rain and fertility for the land. And as they do this, they shut themselves off from the one who had been providing for them all along. Similar to the way people turn away from the Lord to, like I said earlier, a career or relationship that promises to give them all they've ever wanted, only to find themselves in a drought because they've turned away from the only one who held their future in his hand that he himself spoke to begin with. Why do people turn away to different things? Why do people step into relationships that they know subconsciously or consciously is going to drive them away from the Lord. Why do people do that? Because somewhere in that relationship, they think they're going to find the key to the thing that they haven't gotten from the Lord yet. Because if you were completely fulfilled in the Lord, you would never make decisions like that. Same, same with careers. Why do people chase money? We've seen what the Lord said. You can't serve God and money. You'll love one and hate the other or love one and hate the other. Right? Why does he say that? Because you can't serve God and money. In other words, money can't provide for you what God can. But the first thing you're going to have to do to inherit what God can provide you is turn away from what money seemingly can provide you. So people really struggle with tithe, especially in this season. I don't, I don't know what the economy is going to do. I don't know if I'm going to still have my job in a month, all that stuff. So I better hoard my money just in case. Here's what you're saying. I trust what I have more than what he wants to give me. That's really what you're saying. 
And what you're doing in the process, if you, you're removing yourself from the stream of inheritance that can only be received in trust. So I've encouraged people to maybe give more in this season. Why? Just so you can make sure you know where your heart is. Nothing flies in the face of the status quo more than your job being in uncertainty and you giving more. I've heard story after story after story in this season of people who thought this season was going to take them under. Farmers, I mean, like all these people who thought this season was going to destroy their business or at least they were going to lose business and they've actually gained business. Let me tell you something else. As a church, we've had the best months of giving since we started. Well, how, how is that possible? Because we got people who trust in the Lord. That's, that's really how it's possible. Because, the, yeah, the Lord loves us, but every one of our people, all of our people have been in such a place with the Lord that we've collectively made the decision we're going to trust the Lord, and whatever happens after that, let it happen. And, and that's why we're inheriting this stuff. And so we as a church have been able to provide for businesses that even the government didn't provide for and people who didn't get a stimulus check. How have we been able to do that? Because all of our people have made the decision to keep giving. And as our people have made the decision to keep giving, we've made the decision to keep giving. And you're seeing the Lord just replenish everywhere. Test me in this and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven. So what Israel is doing in this moment is they've turned away from the true God of rain and fertility to a God that promises them that there will always be rain and fertility. And what they've noticed and what they're tasting is that by turning to the God that promises them everything they want, they're in a drought from all the things that they want. So ask anybody who owns a business or who has a lot of money, just have a conversation with them and ask them if money has given them all the happiness that they've ever wanted. A hundred percent of the time, they'll look at you and say no. How do I know this? We have Hollywood superstars that are committed suicide all the time and yet have money upon money upon money upon money. Most of those people are jumping around to relationship after relationship after relationship. They have a horrible relationship with their kids. None of them have a relationship with the Lord. Why? Because money doesn't provide you happiness. Somehow we think it does, though. Right? Okay. This isn't about money, but let it apply. But a lot of, seriously, we're in this, it's going into the summer. Some of you are making decisions about what's coming up next in the next semester, in the next season of life. Some of you are in that stage where your parents are starting to ask, why haven't you married somebody yet? Why haven't you had kids yet? Where there's some people in this like transitional weird season. And to be honest with you, a lot of us are really in that season right now because of where the world is. Some restaurants are open, some are closed. Some places are open, some places are closed. Good Lord, if the zoo doesn't open soon, I don't know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Because Veda has nothing to do right now. Hey, Veda, by the way. Um, But in this season, what I believe the Lord wants to do is seat you in the reality of who is actually God in your life. Nothing tests who is calling the shots more than when you can't call the shots anymore. Right? You know what I mean? 
And so I think what's happening is a lot of people are starting to realize that maybe Yahweh ain't everything that we've been saying he is in our lives right now. However, that's a great place to be in because you can't correct something you're not aware of is wrong. Okay? So, they turned away from the Lord. Because they've turned away from the Lord, they're now outside of covenant. And because they're outside of covenant, they've removed themselves from receiving the inheritance that you can only receive inside of covenant. So the Lord speaks to his prophet Elijah and says he wants to send rain on the land. But first, he was going to restore covenant. This is essentially the wineskin and wine thing right here. He won't, He longs. Think about this. I, I was just in tears reading this the first time I read this last week, um, or at least the first time in a long time. And he says, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. They don't deserve rain. He's saying, I want you to go talk to Ahab because I want to send rain on my people. I don't like this. This isn't fun for me. Seeing my people start, that's, that's, not, that's not fun for me. I want to send rain. So I want you to go to Ahab, and I want you to turn my people back to me so I can send rain again. Wine skin and wine. He wants to pour out new wine, but he cannot do it until they become a new wine skin again. Okay? Rain was an inheritance to the one in covenant. I'm about to read this. So rain equals blessing. All throughout Scripture. The funny thing is, is in the story of Noah, rain was judgment. And then God turns around and after the story of Noah, uses the thing that was used for judgment to be used as the thing that is blessing to his people. So rain falls in the story of Noah for the first time ever, and it's judgment destroying the earth. After that, rain falls not as judgment destroying the earth, but as blessing feeding the earth. Talk about what the enemy meant for bad, God turning and using for good. So Acts 14 says, He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. Isaiah 55.10 describes the word of the Lord as the rain and snow come down from the heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. Verse 11, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me void, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent. So he compares rain and snow to his word. So rain is the life source of all life. We don't have food without rain. Rain feeds what feeds us. It's the root of life. No wonder Jesus calls himself the living water in John 4 as the life source of the ones whom the earth is feeding off of, which Romans 8 says is the sons and daughters of God. Rain feeds what feeds us. Yahweh, through the Holy Spirit, feeds what the earth is feasting off of, which is us. Let me just read this real quick. Let me read this real quick. Lord, help me get through this in Jesus' name. Um, I'm going to finish this today. This is too important for us to not finish, so hopefully y'all ate your Wheaties this morning. Um, just listen. 
What, so what is the covenant of the Lord? This is the covenant the Lord speaks into the Israelites at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, right before they're about to go into the promised land. They've been walking around in the wilderness for all these years, and he's about to send them into finally what all of them had taken that journey to go into, which is the promised land. And this is what he speaks in covenant over them. Okay, The Lord spoke this to me this morning. Just a little side note, you can take this home. I wonder how many people in this group had gotten so used to wandering around in the wilderness and God providing for them in the wilderness that they questioned if the promised land would be any better than the wilderness. I wonder how many of them were content. In fact, there were two tribes that were content, staying on the other side of the promised land, if you read the story. But I wonder how many people are content just wandering around in the wilderness because at least the Lord's providing. He provided food for them day in and water, day in and day out, and day in and day out as they were wandering around in the wilderness. He didn't forget them. He provided for them. So while they're on the edge of the promised land, looking into the promised land with all these giants that are going to have to be taken out, I wonder how many of them sat back and said, you know what? This ain't too bad. This is way better than Egypt. And become content in the wilderness. Take that home. Deuteronomy 28, he speaks this to the Israelites. They're about to go in. This is the covenant. He says this, If you will only obey the Lord your God by diligently observing all his commandments that I am giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the earth. <clears throat> all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. All these blessings will overtake you. Bless, blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall you be in the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your ground, the fruit of your livestock, both the increase of your cattle and the issue of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out in your coming and going. The Lord will cause your enemies to rise against you, and you to be defeated, excuse me, and to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns. And in all that you undertake, he will bless you in the land that your Lord, the Lord your God has given you. Literally, what he's saying is every single thing that your hand touches will be blessed. He didn't say everything you were called to do. He said every single thing you do will be blessed. This is Old Covenant, by the way. Okay? <clears throat> the Lord will establish you. As his holy people, as he has sworn to you, I'm almost done. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. The Lord will make you abound in prosperity, in the fruit of your womb, in the fruit of your livestock, in the fruit of your ground, in the land that the Lord God swore to your ancestors to give you. The Lord will open up, listen to this right here, 
the Lord will open up for you his rich storehouse, the heavens to give the rain of your land in its season and to bless all your undertakings. You will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be only at the top and not at the bottom. If you obey, man, I feel this. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I am commanding you today by diligently observing them. And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I am commanding you today, either to the right or to the left, following other gods to serve them. You'll be the head, not the tail, only at the top, not at the bottom. You will lend and you will not borrow. When did we stop? When did we stop believing for that? You know what I'm saying? When did we stop believing for the Lord to make us the head and not the tail? A lot of us are bracing because we believe we're going into a tail season. That's not my my covenant is he'll make you the head and never the tail. He'll make you a lender, not a borrower. He's not going to give you enough. He's going to give you so much that you can lend to somebody else. I mean, I've got to stop praying to have enough. That's stopping way short. I, I believe I'm called to have excess upon excess, so I'm not just giving this. I'm giving this because the Lord has given me so much in abundance that I become a steward of abundance rather than somebody who tries to do the best with what I got. You know what I'm saying? The head and not the tail, the first and not the last. So that's what he promises them. He promises that the heavens will give them rain on their land in its season. And here's the caveat at the end. If you do not turn aside to the right or the left, following other gods to serve them. All he's asking is for your undivided devotion to the Israelites. He, in this, he didn't say, if you do this, and then you do this, and you do this, and you do this. He says, if you'll just stick with me, I'll do all that for you. I don't want anything from you. I just want you. So 1 Kings 18, not that many pages over. The Israelites have turned to the right and to the left, and they're serving other gods and wonder why there's no rain. Do you, do you see where this makes sense with where we are today? With where we are today? Christians believe that we can actually be the tail that we have to be the borrowers, that we have to be the last. That's, I mean, that's what Christians believe. That ain't, I'm, I will not settle for that. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm not going to settle for being, I'm first, and you're first, not last. I believe what's coming out of this season is businesses. Christ, I believe the church is going to go beyond ministry, and it's going to go into business world, politic, Lord help us world economic world, educational world, artistic world. Why, why can't the next iPhone be designed by somebody full of the Holy Ghost? You know what I'm saying? But we put, we put God in the church, and we've said, let him move in this ministry capacity, 
And outside of that, we'll let the world take care of everything else. And he's saying, no, 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 no. You come into the four walls to take something with you outside of the four walls so that you can affect the whole of society for the kingdom until the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Okay. So uh, let's pick it up. Verse 20. So Ahab, what time is it? Sweet. 12 minutes. Um, We're going to go beyond 12 today. So Ahab sent to all the Israelites and assembled the prophets in Mount Carmel. Okay, He says, how long will you go limping between two uh, opinions? Uh, then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets, number 450, let two bulls be given to us. Let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire indeed is God. And all the people said, well spoken, because they believe Baal's about to send fire. They're about to be wrong. This tells you how far Israel has gone. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many. Then call on the name of your God, but put no fire to it. So they took, listen to this, listen to this right here. They took the bull that was given to them, prepared it, called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, crying, O Baal, answer us. They're screaming out, but there was no voice and no answer. They limped about the altar they had made. I've got note after note after note about that, but I'll see what the Lord wants to do. They limped about the altar that they had made. At noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, surely he is a God. Either he's meditating or he has wandered away. That word right there, wandered away, in the Hebrew is actually he went to the bathroom. That's literally what it is. So he says, surely he's a God. Either he's meditating or he's going to the bathroom or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. Then they cried aloud, as was their custom, and they cut themselves with swords and lances until the blood gushed out over them. As midday passed, They raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice, no answer, and no response. They're cutting themselves. They're screaming. They're hooting and hollering. They're dancing around. They're limping. Remember, Elijah, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? That phrase right there, there is a... um, there's a, what's the word, um, a metaphor that is in the Hebrew text that we don't get in the English. When he says, how long would you go limping between two different opinions? That word limping has three meanings. It could be a bird that's hopping between branches. That's what the, what the metaphor is there. It could be limping. And then the third is to be made lame. So what is lame? Think about a lame man that Jesus healed. To be lame means that you are immobile. 
So he says, how long will you be lame going between two different opinions? Hello, the book of James, double-minded man, right? So what he's saying is, how, how long are you going to bounce back and forth? You want something from God, and then you go and worship Baal, and then you want something else from God, and then you want something from Baal. How long are you going to do that? Let me say this. How long are we going to bounce back and forth between different opinions? When God is convenient, we love the Lord. When career and relationships and everything else is convenient, we love that stuff. And we think that those are married. They are not. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then once you get that, go love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, I'd rather you be cold than lukewarm in the book of Revelation. I'd, I'd rather you deny me completely than to pretend like you're with me. Y'all, are y'all good? Are y'all with me? No. All right. So, they scream around. They're dancing. They're losing their minds. They're going crazy, all that stuff. Listen to the contrast right here. Verse 30, almost done. Then Elijah said to all the people, come closer to me. I can just see a father right now. John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. John the Baptist's call was to turn the hearts of sons to fathers and fathers to sons. He was restoring fatherhood. That was John the Baptist's call. He was in the spirit of Elijah, which was to restore fatherhood in Israel. So he goes and he says to all the people, come closer. And as the people came closer to him, first, he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. And he took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. Why 12 stones? In the book of Joshua, as they're crossing over the Jordan River, the Jordan River parts and they walk across to go into the promised land. And Joshua says, I want you to take 12 stones from the river and they will serve as a memorial so that when your kids ask, what are those 12 stones? You can respond and say, those represent the day the Lord brought us into the promised land. The altar had been torn down. Elijah, before he ever calls on rain, gets 12 stones and sets them up. And I wonder in that moment, as he puts the 12th stone on top, if the Israelites are looking around saying, wait a minute. I've seen those 12 stones. Elijah, alone, completely alone, surrounded by a nation that had turned away from the Lord, puts one stone on the other. Then he made a trench around the altar, large enough to contain two measures of seed. Next, he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood. He said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt 
offering and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time, and they did it a second time. And again, he said, do it a third time, and they did it a third time. So that the water ran all around the altar and filled the trench also with water. Elijah completely drenches everything. Here's in other words, the only way this thing's going to catch fire is if the Lord sends fire. No man could have made that catch on fire. He's making sure that when the Lord answers him, they know where the answer came from. I mean, th- I, just, I, I just wept reading this. Wept. As he, I could just see Elijah taking stone after stone after stone. What, what was happening in the mind of the Israelites when they see the 12 stones stacked up? They knew. They knew what it was. He covers it in water three times, the number of completeness. Ironically, covers it with water. At the time of the offering, the prophet Elijah came near and said, remember, all the prophets of Baal are screaming, hooting, hollering, cutting themselves. Elijah whispers to the Lord, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and not Jacob this time, Israel. There's only a couple of times in all the Old Testament that Israel is used instead of Jacob. This is one of them. Let it, he's restoring identity. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your bidding. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and even licked up the water that was in the trench. Consumed the wood, the stones, and the dust. What was Adam made of? Dust. And even licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord indeed is God. The Lord indeed is God. Elijah said to them, Daniel, go ahead and come up here. Where are you? Go ahead and come up here. Man, I, feel, I just feel the fear of the Lord all over this. Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. Then they seized them, And Elijah, the father of Israel in this moment, Elijah brought them down to the Wadi Kishon and killed them there. Elijah, Elijah said to Ahab, go and eat and drink. For there is a sound of rushing rain.
An entire country had turned away from the Lord and shut off the rain. They fall on their face. They declare the Lord indeed is God. And Elijah says, now that they've turned back, you better go eat because I hear rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, but Elijah went to the top of Carmel. There he bowed himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up and look toward the sea. He went up and looked and said, there's nothing. Then he said, go again seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, look. A little cloud, no bigger than a person's hand, is rising out of the sea. Then he said, go say to Ahab, Harness your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. In a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind. There was a heavy rain. Ahab rode off and went to Jezreel, but the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. He girded up his loins and ran in front of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Man. Rain is a symbol of wine that is their wineskin had become new again, had unlocked the vats of heavenly wine to be poured out into a wineskin that had just become new the moment they said the Lord indeed is God. Rain is also a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Joel 2.23 prophesies of a day when Yahweh pours out the former and latter rain together. He's talking about the rain that used to fall at around September or October, which is seed time, and the rain that used to fall around March or April right before harvest. In other words, Yahweh was sending the rain at seed time and the rain at harvest together in the new covenant. One man's single-hearted devotion restored covenantial rain to an entire nation. What would happen if a handful of people actually became single-hearted? If Elijah could restore rain to Israel, I believe we could restore rain to America. And definitely Colombia. Had a lot of notes I'm not using right now. I just... I, f- I feel the Lord wanting to ask us the question. Would you be willing to rebuild the torn down altars so that my people could turn back to me? I'm thinking about my 10th great grandpa. Could you go bring the lights down? I just, I just feel the Lord doing something really different right now. 
my 10th great-grandpa, um, I found out through a free trial of ancestry, uh, was a Quaker minister, okay? Now, the Quakers were the ones who came over from England uh, and were some of the first to establish the country which would become known as America. And they were called Quakers. Sometimes they were called Shakers. They were called Quakers because they would be in meetings and the presence of the Lord would fall so heavy that they would literally begin to quake in the presence of the Lord. Quakers. My 10th great-grandfather was a Quaker minister. And as I'm reading through this, America was established a lot like Israel, where a group of foreigners came across water and landed in a territory that was lush and prime for settling. And they came over, why? To be able to worship the Lord their God freely. You know why America exists? Because a group of people were sick of being persecuted for worshiping the Lord, so they risked their lives to travel to a nation where their legacy could worship the Lord freely. It wasn't so that everybody could worship whatever they wanted. It was so that they could worship Yahweh freely. That's why every single thing we have says, in God we trust. But over the years... Because we've turned to different idols, and it may not be Baal, but the heart is the same. We turn to prosperity. We turn to careers. We turn to whatever else that brought us relationships with countries that we shouldn't be in relationship with. It's brought us a lot of success But what the Lord is doing right now is he's putting a halt to every system that we've built our success on. Businesses are closed. The economy is not doing great. Millions and millions and millions of people are losing their jobs. Why do people come to America? So that they can create for themselves a better future through working. And now he's put a stop to every single thing that we've allowed ourselves to be identified with. And in this moment, what's laying bare is a bunch of people on a mountain where we have the opportunity to say, if career is God, serve it. But if Yahweh is God, serve him. But you've got to stop limping between the two. And I'm saying career, you can say whatever you want, relationship, money, whatever. Okay? If that's God, go serve it. If it's God, go. But if, let me say it like this if success and fame and followers and numbers is God, then go serve it. But if Yahweh is God, then go serve him. And Elijah is looking around at a bunch of people who in that moment, as he says this, choose between the two, Israel had already made up its mind, we're probably going to serve Baal. How do I know that? Because they were serving Baal. 
So as he says, choose between the two, he was alone in choosing Yahweh. He was the lone person standing on the mountain in front of probably thousands of people that said, I choose him. And he looks at the prophets of Baal and says, go ahead, start doing your thing. They hoot and holler and call on Baal and do all this stuff and nothing happens. And then he takes a stone and just starts stacking them. And with every stone, with every stone, I want every tribe would have been represented right here. Every tribe would have been represented for the northern kingdom of Israel in that moment, in that place. The leaders of those tribes would have been there. So as he's laying the stone, I wonder if they're saying, that's us. That's us. That's us. And he lays the twelfth. And they got to be looking around saying, what have we done? He parted the sea so that we could walk through it into a land we did not deserve, flowing with an inheritance that we did not deserve. And we had the audacity to turn away from that and serve a God that only wanted our works and wasn't even real. Your job wants you to burn it at both ends. You know what Yahweh wants you to do? Be still and know and serve, serve your family and enjoy your life and have joy unspeakable full of glory and have hope and a future. Your job doesn't want that from you. It wants your work, and yet we serve it. And I'm tired of it. I'm tired of the church serving work. I'm tired of us calling evangelism how many people we can get to repeat a prayer. That's not evangelism. That's marketing. And I can do it with a lot of money and no God. You give me a million dollars, I'll have the whole city of Columbia repeat a prayer. And I don't need the Lord to do that. But if we're going to turn his people back to him, I can't do it with money. I can't do it with a career. The only way I can do it is if I start repairing the altars that we've torn down. And as that altar gets repaired, one man burning hot enough can whisper a prayer and fire fall on that altar. He's not cutting himself. He's not hooting and hollering. He's not falling out on the floor. He's not slashing himself. He's not saying whatever. You know what he's doing? He's whispering, Lord, would you just answer me? Show them what I've already seen. And fire falls. And it not only consumes the offering, it consumes the wood. Listen to this. It consumes the stones. And it consumes the dust. Are y'all with me still? It, can, it consumes the offering. The Lord, I don't have this written down. The Lord just showed me. Consumes the offering, then consumes the wood that the offering was on, then consumes the stones that the wood was on, and then consumes the dust that the stones was on, were on. What is he doing? The stones represented what he had done for the Israelites. He consumes them, saying, 
forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. It springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. He's saying, you know what? It's great to remember what I did for them, but I want to do something for you that blows what I did for them away. So forget the former things, not dishonor. He's saying, don't let that be the only thing you're known by. Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Can you not see it? Don't dwell on the Forget the former things. We're not going to go back to how things were. How do I know that? Because I'm praying my guts out that we don't. We will not go back to normalcy. What we're going to do is in rest create a new normal. But I'm telling you, some of us need to start building some altars. And you can take that literal, you can take whatever. But we need to start building up what has been torn down by our double-mindedness. And as we do that, it's going to draw Yahweh's people back to Him. And when it draws Yahweh's people back to Him, what He's actually going to do is in that posture, allow us to forget the former things and focus on the glory of the latter house, which is far greater than the glory of the former house. I mean, I, I just, I feel this all over me. I'm going to go into chapter 19 next week. But as soon as this happens, Elijah gets word that Jezebel is going to chase after him, and he flees in fear. So I, I just, y'all go ahead, bow your heads if you're watching this. Bow your heads. I can't see you, but just spend some time with the Lord just for a second. And I'm going I'm to pray. But the Lord wants to do some new stuff. I mean, the Lord, the Lord healing your ankle this morning um, is your ankle, right? Yeah. The Lord healing your ankle. What was he doing? He, he was bringing it back into the way it was designed. You know what I'm saying? He was literally allowing you to taste what it was before it was injured. But now that you've tasted that, he actually wants to move you beyond where it was into a greater strength than it was before. You know what I'm saying? That's what it happens when we get saved. He doesn't just want to take you to reborn. He wants to take you back to reborn so that you can live again in the way that you are reborn into. You know what I mean? And so I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray that the Lord would just allow every single thing that has made us double-minded to fall right now. And so Yahweh, y'all pray with me. Yahweh, I pray in Jesus' name that we, we as a country, we as a country have been a people who have been limping between two decisions. We don't want a lot of God, but we want just enough to whet our appetite. That's really what we've been as a country. And I feel you calling us. I really believe you've been doing this generation after generation, which is why we see great awakenings and revival and stuff like that. But it's never lasted beyond a generation. Never. And I believe what you're allowing us as a generation to do is to stop. To see what you want to do in us by reminding us of where we came from, 
But once we see where we came from, you're wanting to send us into something that is so much greater than what we came from that we will set sail on a course to a generational revival where it doesn't just stay contained within our generation, but it goes into the next and the next and the next and the next. And it's glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. And it's tending the flame and tending the flame and tending the flame until we are a people who can inherit what you have designed us for, which is reigning with you forever which is on earth as it is in heaven. That prayer, the Lord's prayer, begins with our Father. Why? Because you cannot host on earth as it is in heaven until you live as someone who is a son or daughter of the king. And you can't live as somebody who is a son or daughter of the king if you're still living as someone who is a son or daughter of the earth. You're either fully of the earth or you're fully of God. You cannot be both. And if you're half, you're still a son or daughter of the earth. He's going to cause us to make, he's going to dare us to make decisions that don't make sense. He's going to dare us to make decisions that's going to cause people around us to question why we're wasting our life. He's going to call us into making decisions that flies in the face of the status quo. But what he's doing in us is not allowing us to just follow in the rest of the herd. He's actually calling a bunch of us to shepherd a bunch of sheep. In order for you to shepherd, you've got to go first. So you're going to have to make decisions that people don't understand. Why? Because nobody's ever made those decisions before because you're going first. But then when your kids and your great-grandkids and your spiritual kids and your friends and people around you see the fire that you're hosting in your life, they're going to forget the career that you were going after and instead wonder how to get the fire that you're carrying. How can you be happy having less than you've ever had? Because you actually have more than you ever had. It just don't look like what the world thought it would look like. God, make us single-minded. Make us single-minded. There's no fear in single-mindedness. There's no doubt in single-mindedness. There's no depression and anxiety in single-mindedness. There's no chasing after the things of the world. And single-mindedness. There is one pursuit and one thing alone, and that is how clear can I see his eyes today compared to yesterday? And what happens when you get single-minded? He'll make you the head and not the tail. He'll make you above only and not beneath. He'll make you the first and not the last. He'll make you the lender, not the borrower. So let me ask you this question. I'm going to say amen. This is the question he asks us almost on a consistent monthly at least basis here as a church. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you really trust me? If I ask you to do something that you had no way of explaining, do you trust me? If I ask you to give money that you don't currently have, do 
you trust me. If I ask you to sell everything and give it to the poor and follow me, Jesus, not me, do you trust me? If I ask you to start a business that everybody thinks is crazy for you to start, but you've heard a word from the Lord, do you trust me? I'm learning to trust you. I'm not in a hurry. I'm starting to listen. So Yahweh, we love you. We worship you. We honor you in this place. Thank you for what we're inheriting. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Um, I'm going to encourage y'all to take that home with you in the secret place. And literally, this is what I'm doing. And let the Lord show you where we're where you're still limping between two different opinions. Maybe you've been praying for healing for a long time and you've started limping between two different opinions because of your experience. Okay? Feel, I mean, fill in the blank. The Lord wants to bring you into single-mindedness and when you get there, you'll find new strength. You'll soar high on wings like eagles. Um, I just want to say this before we go. Uh, I was thinking about this on the way home. I guess it was yesterday, the day before we went to Target yesterday. And uh, it's amazing how going to Target seems like going on vacation now. But um, <laughs> literally, we're taking Bay to Target. It's like the greatest thing ever. Um, but we, uh, we were on our way home, and I was just I was thinking um, how when we started this church, like we didn't do marketing. We didn't, like literally, we showed up on day one and didn't know if anybody would be there. You know what I'm saying? We posted stuff on social media, I guess. That's all we did. And um, and to think that this is where Yahweh brought this, I have no, this isn't here because of me. I didn't do anything, literally, okay? This is here because of him. I mean, this is the poster child. This is, this is the model for what can happen when you let him build his church. It is. And so I want to thank every one of you. I, like, I love y'all, seriously. You guys are my family. You're Jordan's family. She'll be here next week. They woke up at 2 a.m. this morning, so y'all <laughs> y'all be praying for some sleep. Um, but we, we like you guys are our family. You know what I'm saying? And so we love y'all, and we're, we're about to taste and see that he is good. You know what I mean? We're about to move beyond hearing about his goodness, and we're about to move into tasting that he is good. If you're not already. And so uh, so I love y'all. I hope y'all have a great week. Um, healing Room, Tuesday, 10 to 3. And uh, and then Equip is Tuesday night. And uh, anything else, we'll post it on social media. I'm sure I'm forgetting some stuff now. But uh, if you want to give, let me just share this link one more time because people ask this. DreamColumbia.com slash give. Or you can text DreamGive to 206-859-9405. We love y'all. Thanks for tuning in today, for you guys being here in person. Uh, y'all have a good week. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information on Dream Church or to give, visit dreamcolumbia.com. We hope you have a great week.